You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Download past shows and become a subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. There are 105,000 people in the state of Maine out of a population of just over a million who don't read, write, and compute well enough to function in today's society. The face of literacy is not as simple to see as the face of a lot of other things. 46% of kids in Maine are not reading at the level they should be in third grade. That's unbelievable. We really think that Maine has the chance to really be an economic powerhouse if we just have the right people here, if we have the right educated workforce. I always love to show a two-month-old baby the books because they have both pictures and words. It's always interesting to watch the babies. Do they go to the picture first or do they go to the word first? And there's a real difference and it'd be kind of fun to see what their SAT scores were down the road. They see them in their homes. They know how to pick them up. They know how to, I mean, all the basics that we think a kid should have to open them up, how you read a book, a story has a beginning, middle, and that sort of comfort and competence comes in a much larger way, and they have a shared literacy experience, whether they know it or not. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Dream Kitchen Studios, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 136, Family Literacy airing for the first time on Sunday, April 20th, 2014. As the original medical advisor to the Raising Readers program and the mother of three children, I have long been a supporter of literacy efforts in Maine and across the country. Today, we speak with Liza McFadden and Becky Dyer of the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy, which is 25 years old this year, and with Cassandra Grantham, Catherine Landau Malone, and Catherine Anderson about Raising Readers, which is in its 15th year. These organizations are doing impressive work, and I hope that you'll take a moment to listen to our conversations about the importance of literacy in our lives and how we can bring reading to our children and our families. Thank you so much for joining us. Listeners of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast know that we are huge proponents of literacy. Uh, I myself was with the Raising Readers Literacy Organization here in the state of Maine for 10 years, and during that time, I actually intersected with one of our guests today. This guest is Becky Dyer. She is the Research and Development Director at the Barbara Bush Foundation for Literacy. She's worked in adult education for over 35 years. While working in the Maine Department of Education, she administered the Maine Family Literacy Initiative in partnership with the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy. Becky serves as a trainer and speaker for educational organizations across the country. She and her husband, Don, live on Pequocket Lake in Lemington, Maine. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you for having us. And with Becky is Liza McFadden, who is the president of the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy. She's known for her work in the development of creative and sustainable public-private partnerships that respond to critical community needs. Liza was also appointed by President George W. Bush and confirmed by the Senate to serve on the National Institute for Literacy Board. Liza is the mother of two middle school students, and she has traveled from her home in Florida to join us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Literacy. It's something that's getting a lot of play, especially lately, and as a doctor who knows how important it is for patients to be able to read prescriptions and understand medical instructions, um, it's not a hard sell for me. Has this always been something that you've easily convinced people is important? Well, I think part of the issue is that people really are unaware of how many people struggle with literacy and, as you say, how much it affects everything from your health to um, what you do with your life. Um, 30 million Americans read at less than a fifth grade 
reading level, and that is having a devastating impact on everything. Um, the people who are in the lowest literacy level, those reading less than a fifth grade level, 20% of them say they're having problems today with their health in some way. And that's because a lot of times they're not reading their prescriptions correctly. They don't know how to use the asthma inhaler with their child correctly. Um, it goes on and on. They're maybe not eating correctly. So um, the impact um, for literacy is extremely challenging because it's, um, we call it America's biggest challenge at the Barbara Bush Foundation because um, people think that everything's okay because they're not seeing how much it impacts. And, and, and that was really how Barbara Bush, in fact, decided to to um, focus on literature. She, she said, you know, if I could focus on reading, it would be the, the way that we could help with so many other ills in today's society. So that, that was really the impetus 25 years ago for starting the Barbara Bush Foundation. Yeah, I think reading uh, illiteracy is really an epidemic, and it's hidden. There are so many people who can't read, write, and compute, and we don't think about how it impacts all of us. It increases our health care costs when they go to the emergency room. It increases our welfare costs when they aren't able to get a job. Um, I think it's, it's huge for the state of Maine. There are 105,000 people in the state of Maine out of a population of just over a million who don't read, write, and compute well enough to function in today's society. So talk to me about family literacy and the definition of family literacy. I know, Becky, you have um, a background in adult education, and Raising Readers, the program that you and I were both involved in, was zero to age five. Why, why the emphasis on the family? Well, family literacy has three pieces to it. We work with the parent who doesn't have a GED or a um, high school diploma to improve their literacy skills so that they can lift the family out of poverty. Because if a parent, a child isn't responsible for the family's poverty, it's the parent. And until we raise the liter literacy levels of parents, children will continue to live in poverty. So we work with them to get their GED to prepare them for college and career. We work, the second piece of it is we work with children birth to age eight, but predominantly we're talking about birth to five to um, help them build the developmental skills they need to be ready to go to school and to succeed in school. Now the third piece is the parent and child together time. We want parents to understand that they are their child's first and most important teacher, so we want them to um, experience activities that they can do with their child at home so we model them, we have them try them, we give them feedback, they give us feedback, and then we tell them how they can extend that activity in their home. You know, Lisa, when the Barbara Bush Foundation was formed 25 years ago, people didn't really realize how important learning was for infants. And we know there's this gap in particular between birth to age three, where parents who have low literacy have a really hard time finding a place to a, get an education for themselves, and B, have their child be educated at the same time. So when we open up these family literacy programs, and the Barbara Bush Foundation has helped open up about 1,500 across the nation over the last 25 years, we have waiting lists, though, on average, of over 100 people. So the access barriers that are out there are tremendous for people who really want to change their lives. And what we're finding is that for these little kids who come into our programs, um, they're developmentally delayed, a you know, really significantly. That the average difference between a child who's from low literate parents and one who is from well-educated parents is a 30 million word gap by the time they start first grade. 30 million words that they haven't heard, that they, they, they haven't had as many bedtime stories, they haven't had as many people talking to them about interesting things they see in a store. And, and people forget how much it's that verbal words and communications become ideas as you get bigger. And so those nouns that you are learning when you're a little kid become these big ideas to change the world when you become larger. So we're very, very focused on how do we tap into helping that brain power of zero to three-year-olds because there is no state or federal government dollars really there. And um, what we've found um, with our programs is 85% on average of these kids come in 
um, significantly delayed, but by the end of a year of being with us, only 15% are. So our goal is to get all these kids ki at kindergarten on par with their peers, and that's how we break the intergenerational cycle. And if we can get those parents excited about learning, that correlation between parent learning and children learning is, you know, as a mom, <laughs> you know, is huge. So um, that, that's kind of what, we, what we're trying to do. Describe to me exactly what it is that the Barbara Bush um, Foundation is doing with reading. What are some of the programs that you do? Okay, well, um, so the, the one that we're probably most known for are Barbara Bush grants and scholarships. And, um, and a Barbara Bush scholarship basically is worth a value of, I'm going to say, about $1,800 to $23. And a family receives that, um, but they, they, they take it to a school that is going to offer the parent an opportunity to come to school three to four days a week, work on their English language skills or earn their GED, and their child is going to go into that school door with them, but they're gonna go into their own classroom and as a two-year-old, for example, start learning about colors and maybe the parent is learning about adjectives and then there's this part of the day where with parent and child come together, we call it pack time, um, parent and children together time, where if the parent's reading with the child and they're learning their colors, the, hopefully the light bulb's gonna go off in the parent's mind of, wow, I was just learning about adjectives. Now I'm teaching my kid adjectives. And that was because I just taught them colors. So we're really trying to do an integrated curriculum. Um, and that's why we think the power of that is that it doesn't end at the school door. When they go back home, they're gonna know how to reinforce, enforce it because it's been modeled. Becky, you can talk about some of the programs here in Maine. Sure, we have programs in Sanford, um, which is a center-based program. They have a, a beautiful um, early childhood center. While the parents are going to take their adult ed classes, the children are going to the early learning center. Those children can stay in that early learning center even when the parents go to York County Community College. So there, there's one example. We have one in Rockland where um, Children are going to early literacy classes at the local library while the parents go to their adult ed classes. Um, in Bath, they're working with the regional vocational school in RSU 1. So the children are in early childhood classes with the students at Bath Vocational School. Um, so they're learning their early childhood training with the children in the family literacy program while mom and dad are in the adult ed program right next door. Um, we have a program at Learning Works in Portland, which is predominantly English as a second language. Um, uh, we have one in Thorndike, which is a virtual school. Um, because Thorndike is a 400 square mile uh, radius school district, they were having trouble getting families who had enough gas or reliable transportation into a program. And they were only doing a home-based, which was not intensive enough. They developed a virtual school. They give um, families a laptop and a hotspot um, so they can access the internet and they go, they create their own little avatar and can go into Mount View High School and take classes. They even have a career center. They can take community college classes and they can take parenting classes through the DHHS Parent Place. So we do, it, there are a number of um, different models we want the model to fit the community and the community needs. Mm -hmm. And then we have a <clears throat> second program that we've just started in Maine, um, and it's called Teen Trendsetters. And it's a program where teens come in and mentor first, second, or third graders who are at least six months behind in reading. And we teach them reading through the sciences because um, what we want is to really excite kids about reading. And we also want to do it in such a way that they see science as fun and exciting. So they start with baby animals, and then they go to animals, and then they do weather, and then they do scientists. And, and then every week or every other week, a book goes home with the child um, so that they can read to their parent and show them the skills that they've learned. Um, and we're we're really excited about this program. It's just gotten started. Becky can talk about it, um, where it's gotten started. Uh, it's uh, Regional School Unit 14 in Wyndham, um, and they have had great success, and now the middle school in Raymond, which is part of that regional school unit, also wants to get on board with their elementary students. Are there pockets of Maine that are um, less literate 
than other parts of the state? I would say um, no, not really. Uh, you know, in, in certain cities there is a larger ESL population, so that may impact the illiteracy level in Lewiston and Portland. So this is English as a second language? Yep. Um, or there could be real rural areas where there are pockets of um, illiteracy, but the numbers aren't as high because there are fewer people. So uh, no, I think it's a widespread problem. And how do we identify people who have literacy issues, either in Maine or nationally? Because as you've said, it it's can kind of fly under the radar. Too often, people are able to um, use excuses like, can I take the application home and, and uh, I'll bring it back later? Sometimes that means that there's someone at home who will help them fill it out. Or if they say, I forgot my glasses. Um, that's sometimes a key that you might want to be paying a little more attention. So there are cues that adult educators are trained to look for. Um, but without really doing assessments, we don't know what their vocabulary levels are, what their comprehension levels are. One of the difficulties of adult literacy is that those levels can vary. So you could have two people in the same class and one person could have a, a high comprehension level but a low vocabulary level and it would be just the opposite for the next person so you can't teach them as a class because they have different needs so that's why a lot of adult reading has to be individualized is this and is this um, the same nationally are you able to identify people with the same sorts of assessments that Becky is describing yeah, we use different assessments, and, and part of what we actually have on our website is what we call the gap map. Um, so when you ask, are there areas of the country that have a tremendous need? Absolutely. Uh, one of the reasons that we're now spending a lot of time in Detroit is that um, on the front page of the paper, they estimated 46% of their city um, has um, a need for greater literacy skills. So um, there are certainly segments um, where we're looking at, you know, if we have limited resources, you know, what's the best place to invest? Um, the Barbara Bush Foundation, a lot of people don't realize it's a public charity. So Mrs. Bush has lent her name for 25 years. Um, she, her son Neil is dyslexic and um, part of her passion for this is that she realizes mothers all across the country and grandmothers want to help their kids and so um, what we try to do is, is bring that spirit that, that, that she really believed in um, to the areas of, of high need but um, as Becky said there's need and it you know you can be well to do and have a child who's really struggling with literacy. Um, it, the face of literacy is not um, as simple to see as the face of a lot of other things. 46% of kids in Maine um, are not reading at the level they should be in third grade. That, that's uh, unbelievable. Um, there's major policy implications, and I realize Maine is making a, you know, um, a lot of focus on, um, you know, trying to improve the education. But the fact that 46% of the kids are not reading on grade level is traumatic. Um, I will tell you one thing we see in programs in Maine is people with high school diplomas who still um, are really not literate. And, and that's a shame, it's a travesty that the state invests those kind of dollars and that kids can come out at the other end and still not have the skills they're gonna need for a workplace. Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. The most important thing you need to begin a personal evolution is heart. To start your journey, you have to take the first step with your eyes and your heart wide open, open to new experiences and possibilities. Without this openness, your efforts, your path toward growth and positive change will be fraught with obstacles that seem insurmountable. So if you find yourself looking forward to good things to come, open your heart and take a brave step toward the future. If you're interested in evolving your relationship with your money, get in touch with us. I'm here to help at tom at shepherdfinancialmain.com. We'll help you evolve with your money. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial 
are separate entities from LPL Financial. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Dream Kitchen Studio by Matthew Brothers. Whether your style is contemporary, traditional, or eclectic, their team of talented designers are available to assist you in designing the kitchen or bath of your dreams. For more information, visit www.dreamkitchenstudio.com. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Join us for the Apothecary by Design speaker series at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street in Portland. Our first speaker will be Dr. Lisa Radio Hour guest and naturopathic physician, Dr. Richard Maurer, who's launching his book, The Blood Code, on Wednesday, April 16th from 5 to 7 p.m. For information, visit apothecarybydesign.com. It's not a question of being literate or not literate. There are different levels of literacy. Is Mm -hmm. that true? That's absolutely true. So talk to me a little bit about what that means, what these different levels are, and what how we identify people who might fall in these categories. So I think in adult literacy, um, there's typically been this um, conversation where um, there's what's called basic literacy. And basically, that means that if you um, are have literacy that's less than a fifth grade level, that's considered basic literacy. Um, what we try to do is walk everything over to a grade level equivalency and talk about it almost the same way you would talk about a K-12 education, because we find that policymakers otherwise really struggle with understanding what's basic literacy and what's functional literacy. Functional literacy in the adult literacy world is typically about an eighth grade education. Um, And uh, there's this saying in education that's pretty well known, you learn to read until the third grade, and then you read to learn. And so, you know, when we talk about the folks who are of less than a third grade or reading proficiency, those are the people who are really struggling with, you know, a ba- reading a basic sentence. Um, when you talk about people that are struggling with functional skills, that's impacting their everyday lives. They're having a difficult time understanding the bus schedule. They're having a difficult time helping their child with some of the health issues we talked about previously. So there is definitely a difference about it, um, you know, the levels, but I think the main thing is um, having folks understand that you're not never too early to get an education, zero to three years old, and you're never too old. I mean, you know, we have folks any age who come back. um, And I think that that's really the critical part to, um, we believe that literacy is really almost like a civil right. And that unfortunately in our country today, if you're between the ages of five and 18, it's really clear cut that where you can go to get an education. If you're younger than that or older than that, sometimes it's really challenging to understand that there's help out there for you and that there are these opportunities that we're talking about. Only about 6% of those in need in Maine, um, parents or adults, are actually getting services right now. So a huge part that we are committed to is building awareness in this country. 25 years ago, you could go you would not go to a cocktail party and say you had breast cancer. But I think the Komen Foundation has done an unbelievable job of bringing that to the forefront and saying, look, lots of women get breast cancer. We need to do walks. We need to do research. We need to change people's perception on that. We have not done as good of a job on saying there's a literacy challenge in this country and people have a right. Things have happened to them. Um, they, they've had to get pulled out of school to go to work. They um, had the challenge of a learning disability. We haven't given them the understanding that they there are other ways to learn and that they can be welcomed back. Just like we've done with breast cancer. You know, admit that you know, it would be, I think, really challenging to go to a cocktail party and say, I don't have a high school diploma today, but I'm going back. But yet, you should be proud that you're gonna go back. 
You know, um, folks don't realize that, you know, one out of four people haven't made, don't have a high school diploma in our country. It's a lot of people. So I think the conversation needs to be broader, and I think that's part of what we're trying to do. Becky? Well, you think about the um, types of jobs that are available now, that the skills that you need keep increasing, but we still have a lot of people who need to work on those skills to get there. I think we need to have that conversation about um, how do we bring those people back into the workforce? What services can we provide to them? How do we help them navigate some of those uh, barriers to participating in these programs and that's one of the big things that we try to do is get them beyond those barriers and actually taking part in the program. I was filling out an application um, recently for a job as a physician with a major medical center and the first question was can you read and I thought well that's kind of interesting because if I can't read then and this wasn't just for me it was for all employees of the medical system but if I can't read then how can I read the question that says can you read so it's an interesting conundrum that we are actually asking this question but we can't really ask it in the same way that we have been so how do employers and other people, how do they deal with that issue? I don't know. <laughs> I know it's very challenging for employers. Um, I was talking with a, um, one of the largest employers in our country, and they said, you know, Liza, one of the challenges we have is that um, the, the folks don't necessarily want to admit to us exactly what their literacy levels are because they feel that will impact their um, chances of being able to move up in the system. So you've hit the nail on the head. Um, a big part of it is what I was talking about before, stigma, right? There's this giant stigma associated with what, you know, people know that education is what is going to move them forward and they realize it's critically important. Yet at the same time, they're almost, they feel disempowered about how to go and find that education. And, 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 they, and because of the great stigma, they don't want to admit that they don't have the education. It, it is a real challenge for particularly people, companies who are large companies um, that are employing folks who have um, lower wage jobs. Um, the CEO of Walmart is on our board of directors and he was sharing with me that you know in five years you, they're not going to have nearly as many cashiers as they do today because they're going to be you know and you guys have all seen this you can come up and you can scan your um, stuff yourself where well, they're going to do that and I said well how can you do that and they're like well, if you're in a Walmart store there's video cameras I mean they're going to make sure that it's done appropriately and that people aren't stealing things but that's a lot less people that need to be employed and 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 it's not just Walmart it could be any company and so you know as we think about the shifting economy and and what people the skill level that people need it I mean the reason that we have this income inequality in this country is all about education and so um, I, I keep going back to the same message is it's not too late to learn and part of what we're trying to do is is say you know let's open up the the curtains on this need and encourage folks um, let's have a discussion about the fact that there is a stigma um, and and say to folks you know what there's great places here um, that will take you in especially in Maine and um, offer you opportunities. The waiting lists here are not what we see in other parts of the country. So I think that's really good news for listeners who might have sons, daughters, nieces, nephews, who, um, or grandparents that want to go back to school. I think um, there's opportunity here. I think there's plenty of opportunity here. Um, it's harder for us to find the people to come to a family literacy program here in Maine than it is in other parts of the country, which I've always found interesting, but I think it's a little bit cultural here. Um, we've always had industries that um, supported people without a high school diploma. You could work in the woods, you could be um, in the paper plants, you know, you didn't have to. Um, the, back in when I was a kid there was the chicken industry you know the poultry business you didn't have to have a high school diploma to do those things so parents made good money they didn't have to have that high school diploma so I'm not sure that it's always encouraged within the family there's not a value of education necessarily in in some families so there are a lot of people who could benefit from our programs it's just always harder for us to identify them and get them in the door do you think that we are getting better about recognizing um, well one 
learning disabilities and how the impact of learning disabilities on our on our literacy levels and two learning styles that some people may not have a disability in in you know the absolute sense of the word but that they may learn differently do you think that's something that we're seeing more and more as we as we study the brain and it's become an important part of our society I think so. I think we're more aware of what some of those learning disabilities are, and we have some techniques in our basket that we can work with people. For example, some students can't be around um, fluorescent lights. Those overhead lights reflect differently on the paper, and so just putting a baseball cap on that child and blocking that fluorescent light sometimes makes a difference. Or sometimes the words on a piece of paper that's white um, is they just can't see it. So you get, you print the stuff for them on a colored piece of paper. Maybe they do better if it's on a green piece of paper or yellow or pink. So there, you know, some of those techniques are now in our baskets and we can pull them out when we need them. Um, so yes, I think we're better prepared all the way around um, to deal with and recognize some of those disabilities. As far as learning styles, um, I think we all need to practice. I don't think just because I'm a hands-on learner means that I should be given hands-on learning all the time. I think we need to learn those different styles and be able to utilize all of them. But in a concept that's going to be particularly difficult for me, I might want to start first doing something hands-on and then build the skills with the other learning styles. I um, heard something shocking recently, which is one out of three people after they finish high school never read a book again in their lives. And I personally um, am someone who loves books, so I found that very disheartening and shocking and sad. Um, and at the same time, we know that people who read, it's almost, it, it, when they read, their blood pressure goes down. They feel healthier. Reading is to your mind what working out is to your body. And so for healthy lifestyle, reading is incredibly important. You have to work out that brain to get brighter and smarter. Um, we know so much now more about the brain than we did. Um, there's a, there was a, many years ago a national reading panel and they took all the research that has been done all across the world and sort of collapsed it with what are the things you really need to know to teach reading? What are the things that are really gonna make a difference? Um, and that's part of what we try to teach in our classes to our parents so that they're going to send, you know, yes, 25 minutes a day of reading to your child at night is important. Everybody feels like they know that, right? But only one out of every two parents does it. So, you know, you can say it and you can think it and yet, and for some of us, those memories of lying in bed with our parents telling us stories at night are some of the best memories we're ever going to have in our life. And yet, one out of two people doesn't pass it on to their child to have that memory. And that, to me, that's sad. But then there's other things that we didn't know to do, and maybe we didn't do. I didn't necessarily, I now have an 11 and 12 year old. I didn't know to do it with my child. And that is, you know, it's almost as important to have that child as young as possible picking up a pen or a pencil and, and writing those words or type, you can say typing those words now, right? Um, however, um, using the keystrokes to start writing their name again and again and again. Rapid repetition of numbers and letters is for them, for those child to be, child be able to say again and again, the ABCs, the counting one through 10, and the doing it with their hands are equally as important as those reading. So I think there's tips like that that we try to um, use in our programs, um, drive home with parents, and the things that all of us as parents can get a little bit better at, and frankly, um, we're going to make our own minds healthier as we stretch our minds about how we can be great learners. How do people find out about the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy, either in the state of Maine or other places in the country? Well, the easiest way is probably to go on our website, um, the Barbara Bush Foundation, um, and you know you can learn a lot about us. We just put up a brand new website, so we're <laughs> in the midst of uh, trying to tell our story as best we can. There's a gap map up there if people are interested in sort of you know getting more statistical information. Um, there um, are are good descriptions of the scholarship program and the Teen Trendsetter program, um, and some of the other kinds of work that we're doing. So that I would recommend that. 
and um, Becky's contact information is up there if they're specifically interested in finding out more about programs in Maine. But we also are on Facebook and Twitter. Oh, yes. So they 30,000 followers on Facebook. Please join us. We're lots of fun. <laughs> and here in Maine, we do, um, we've been operating here in Maine since 1996. So we've had family literacy programs here in Maine. The Barbara Bush Foundation has been very generous. We've funded about 300 programs at over $5 million total here in Maine in, in those years. Um, this year, for the sixth year in a row, we're doing our annual literacy conference. It's called the Sixth Annual Literacy Connections Conference. This year it's Celebrate Family Literacy. We have over 300 um, early childhood through adult education and even community college um, literacy providers attend this conference. So they do learn about us through the conference this year, um, for the last six years they have anyway. And if you're a new mother, you should receive our Love Relearn journal when you're coming out of the hospital. Um, it was kicked off by Mrs. Barbara Bush and um, um, Mrs. LePage in June, and it is um, a book chock filled with tips on how to help your child with literacy and nutrition. And um, it's all about, you know, um, what we were talking about earlier, a healthy mind and a healthy body and how they go together and how to how to do that for every stage and age of your child. So um, we're trying to do a little bit more to get out there and let Mainers know um, that the Barbara Bush Foundation, you know, just like the Bush family, this is this is our vacation home and, uh, and our real home too. And uh, we enjoy being here and, and we want people to know, you know, that we're here to share and, and grow with you. Having met Barbara Bush, Mrs. Barbara Bush, um, once or twice as part of Raising Readers, she's, she's a dynamic individual and I'm sure she won't remember me, but please give her my thanks for having um, played such an important part in family literacy and congratulations on 25 years with the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy. Um, we've been talking with Liza McFadden, who is the president of the Barbara Bush Liter Literacy Foundation, the Foundation for Family Literacy, and also with Becky Dyer, who is a research and development director. Thank you so much for coming in and for all the work you're doing, bringing reading to the families in Maine and across the, across the nation. Thank you for all your support of literacy that you've been doing. And thank you for this opportunity to, to share our work. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. When was the last time you took a break from what you were doing, from the work that was piled up on your desk, and just looked up? I know that during the course of my days, I often forget to take a moment or two to just breathe, look up at the sky, and dream. Terrible that I have to remind myself to breathe, but when I do, I feel energized because in those moments, I'm able to let go of the daily grind and think more about what I want to accomplish, how I want my business to grow. Sometimes those are the aha moments. If we all took a few moments out each day to stop what we're doing and dream a little about our business futures, not only would we feel a great sense of calm, but we may come to realize that these dreams can, in fact, come true. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. For more information, visit www.bangor.com. I am very pleased to have in the studio with me today three women who are doing great work in the field of literacy, which is one of my favorite um, topics. I have next to me Cassandra Grantham, who is the program director for Child Health and Raising Readers at Maine Health. She has a master's in health communication and also two children. 
Catherine Landon Malone is a pediatric nurse practitioner with over 30 years' experience in pediatric healthcare. She is most interested in providing healthcare for children that focuses on keeping kids healthy. She has been on the Raising Readers Book Selection Committee for eight years, and she currently practices at True North in Falmouth. Katherine Anderson is a parent who has benefited from Raising Readers, and she's also a language arts teacher who has been teaching for the last 15 years. She has two boys, ages nine and six, and she, like Katherine Landon Malone, has been on the Book Selection Committee for Raising Readers. I feel like we're just this brain trust this morning. <laughs> it, sounds, it always sounds more impressive when somebody else is saying it back to you, you know? Well, it is impressive, and it's really important. Um, I was the original medical director for Raising Readers, so I know that it was really important when we started it, and now you're how many years in? Almost 15. Almost 15 years yeah. in. And everybody in the room here has children that have, or grandchildren, mm-hmm. that have benefited from Raising Readers. Mm-hmm. Um, let's first start with what what is Raising Readers for people who do not know? Sure. So Raising Readers is a health and literacy program um, that works across the entire state of Maine, providing books to children ages birth through five, um, both at their birth, um, right in the hospital birth center or at home, depending on where a child is born. Um, and uh, through well child visits. So providers uh, actually hand out our books to um, parents and families and we counsel those families on reading to kids and the importance of early literacy and brain development and bonding and really just preparing kids for success in school and life. So Catherine, uh, and there's two Catherine, so it gets a little confusing, but (laughs) Catherine Landon Malone, you have been um, a pediatric health practitioner for quite a long time, Mm -hmm. and you've actually been giving these books out in your own practice. Mm -hmm. Since the very beginning of the program, yeah. So tell me what your experience with this has been and why it's been important to you. Well, there's a whole lot of reasons. One is the kids come and, you know, they're worried about those shots and people looking in their ears and things like that. So it's great to start a visit with, I have this great book for you. And in my practice, I have lots of time with kids, so I often read the books to the kids or Mm -hmm. show them and, you know, then talk about the books. And um, so to me, it's like the kids have associated not just their well-child checkups with those shots, but also with something like a book. It also is a great opportunity to model for parents how you would read a book and spend that time with kids. And I always ask kids, what do you do at bedtime to get yourself ready for bed? And it's rare, if ever, that I ever hear, if I don't hear that they're getting stories as the last thing at the end of the day. And that so gives me, again, another opportunity to talk about how wonderful it is to end the day with that nice, coherent, snuggly moment that fosters that attachment, bonding, and stimulates brain development. So many good reasons. There, there are. Yeah. There are a lot of good reasons. And what have you seen as um, a result of bringing kids into your practice, exposing them to books over time? Well, I have one story that I was thinking about last night. Uh, about a year ago, I got an email from a family that now lives out in Colorado. And the kiddo who now is like seven or eight was reading the book to the younger one that Mm -hmm. they got at a well visit. And so as she was reading, the dad emailed me and said, she stopped right in the middle and she said to her brother, now, you know, we got this book from Dr. Malone. So (laughs) it's really important that we know this book. It was the one about the little boy who wanted a dog, little dog blue. And... um, I think they got a dog out of that book, actually. I think they convinced (laughs) their dad. So hearing stories like that is so delightful for us all to hear about what a great job we do in choosing those books Mm -hmm. and how much kids really love them and connect them with that checkup and the provider and the practice. Catherine Anderson, as a language arts teacher, um, what do you notice about children who have been exposed to books earlier versus children who have not? Well, I enjoyed bringing this up at the book selection committee last week, is that as the teachers in my school a year, two years ago, we noticed that there was a sort of collective fluency in the room. It was a mark, there was a marked shift for me. And I thought there's something different with this group of kids in my class, this sixth grade group. And it wasn't, you know, I still have struggling readers and there's all sorts of things that get in the way of a child being a successful reader. But it was as if there's a lightness and there was a sense of, 
I'm a reader. I'm a reader, and I I couldn't quite get it. What what is it that these kids? They're not they're not trodden down. They come in like I got books, and after a few you know a few weeks in, I realized there was this. The piece was these were all kids, and not all of them had lived in Maine all their lives, but a majority of them had, and. I made that, connected those dots. I said, how many of you remember going to the doctor and getting a whoosh, all these hands up? <gasps> you did? You, what, what does she mean got a book at the doctor's office? And as we talked, the other language arts teachers and through the building, it was that sort of collective, ah, these kids, they, they see them in their homes. They know how to pick them up. They know how to, I mean, all the basics that we think a kid should have to open them up, how you read a book, a story has a beginning, middle, and that sort of comfort and competence comes for a much in a much larger way and they have a, a shared literacy experience whether they know it or not as well um, so I think it's subtle and I couldn't point to data saying this is different then but we feel it and have felt it ever since and the kids remember and they have a positive association um, which I just wanted to add one, one more piece around that as I was hearing Dr. Malone speaking and thinking you know when I as a new mom go to the doctor's office I'm sure that if my son has a earache or there's something wrong, that the medicine that he's going to give me or suggest or the, or the procedure, the practice, is something that's been thought about and there's been research and, and he's, he's not just going to think, oh, how about we try this? And I feel like the books, I was thinking about this, the books have that same weight. If the doctor or the nurse practitioner gives me the book, it must be a really good one. And I think mm -hmm. as a parent, especially for, you know, as a new parent, you could go to any number of bookstores and get really bogged down and I, was this the right one and there's that guesswork has been taken out a little bit and now that I get to be on both sides as parent and on selection committee I just sort of was connecting those dots and that's really you know we give this the doctor she'll know or the nurse he'll <laughs> know and that's helpful to me as a new mom. The goal of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is to help make connections between the health of the individual and the health of the community. The goal of Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes is to deepen our appreciation for the natural world. Here to speak with us today is Ted Carter. I was in Quasic this past weekend. Uh, it's up by the Canadian border and looking up at the vast sky. It's so dark up there and you can actually see the Milky Way from spanning the entire night sky which is quite incredible. One of the things I do in the landscape is put in large flat stones, seating height, roughly 18, 20 inches above grade. And they're perfect for uh, gazing up at the night sky. You lie on your back, maybe there's a fire pit next to you, and you're looking up and gazing at the night sky, the vastness, the incredible amount of space and stars. The night landscaping is particularly mysterious. And I think that that's one of the things that I love about a night landscape is the fact that it's, it's obscure in ways and it becomes visible and then obscure and it, it plays with shadows and, and light and there's a whole art to putting that together and I love working with it. The clients love it as well. I'm Ted Carter and if you'd like to contact me, I can be reached at tedcarterdesign.com. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast understands the importance of the health of the body, mind, and spirit. Here to talk about the health of the body is Travis Bullier of Premier Sports, a division of Black Bear Medical. The Book of Life has so many chapters. While we can't guarantee how many or how long each will be, we can control some of its content. Black Bear Medical knows we are all plagued with challenges, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Our goal is to help you and your entire family be literate in the ways of your wellness to minimize those challenges. Information leads to knowledge, and knowledge leads to power. Empower yourself to be a better you. Visit our locations in Portland and Bangor to see how our approach to you and your family's wellness goes beyond medical equipment, medical supplies, and sports health products. It's not just products. It's a plan and a promise to help you rewrite the chapters of your life. Visit BlackBearMedical.com or like us on Facebook for continual information on you and your family's wellness. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room. 
Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit www.theroomsportland.com. Both of the Catherines, um, both of you have been on the Book Selection mm-hmm. Committee, and I know that, Cassie, you're on the Book Selection Committee. You're sort of heading the charge. Mm-hmm. What do you look for in books that will go out to doctor's offices? Well, it's really interesting because this was my first year on Book Selection Committee. Um, I became the director of the Raising Readers program only about a little less than a year ago. And so um, our staff of Raising Readers told me that I really needed to actually participate in the entire day of book selection. So we read over 80 books. Um, last last week or the week before, and um, we literally for went from age four um, all the way down to um, the newborn books, and we start that way because we get tired of reading 80, 80 some odd books throughout the day. But so when we start, you know, we're really looking for. Um, number one, am I, as, a, as a health communications expert, I really look at can um, a parent, any parent across the entire state, can they relate to this story? Can they, um, are they able to explain the story to the child? Are they able to read the words in the book? That's very important to me that the, the literature is accessible to a parent with very low levels of literacy and very high levels of literacy. We look at, you know, um, is it developmentally appropriate for the child? Um, will they be able to understand the story does it have for the older kids does it have a lesson does it have a moral does it have some sort of cohesive um, feel to it and then you know as you get sort of younger are the are the colors bright is it going to be engaging for the eye Um, does it have flaps to lift and things to do in the book Um, obviously it has to be safe but we like to have some some of those elements too Um, I don't know um, Dr. Malone if if you'd like to talk a little bit about you know um, some of the developmental things that you're looking for you know as a provider in the books because I think that was an interesting um, realization for me is that really we rely on our we have several providers in the room and they're really looking at certain pieces of the developmental process for kids Mm -hmm. when they're looking at the book so well when I read through one first I read it for me (laughs) do I like this story you know does it make sense and then go back through and really look at the pieces we had a book a few years ago that we we liked except that none of the children riding fast down the hill had bicycle helmets on so we couldn't give that out at a well-child visit because we're all about that. We're also looking at how much ethnic diversity is in this book and are these things that kids in Maine can relate to. So, and then developmentally, is this appropriate for this age of child? And several years ago, it might have been the first year I was on the committee, you might remember, Catherine, they um, put up some developmental characteristics of each age group mm-hmm. and that really helped along with that's now in the Raising Reader books on the back flap. This is how you might use this book with this age child. Um, This is why we think it's developmentally appropriate. But so short little words in the beginning. Um, I always love to show a two-month-old baby the books because they have both pictures and words it's always interesting to watch the babies does they go do they go to the picture first or do they go to the word first and there's a real difference and it'd be kind of fun to see what their SAT scores were down the road if they went to verbal <laughs> words you know the words first and the pictures or what part of the brain is lighting up and, those. The, and there's also the part about is the mom or the dad or the auntie mm-hmm. going to pick up that book again yep. and yeah. really we think about that like does this have if this is the only book or this is one of three books in the house and the family's moving a lot mm-hmm. or they're this mm-hmm. or the child's moving back and forth between caregivers does it have staying power and can I oh look the little mouse is so we've mm-hmm. you know we have these great conversations every year oh yeah but the mouse keeps coming back there's a yeah. whole other narrative oh right. and then there's this piece and mm-hmm. then oh I didn't catch that the first time oh great okay so they're going to come back for that for 
for that part? And how would this engage a sibling? Could an older sibling read this one? Would it hold their mm-hmm. attention? So we're really, we've got like, we're looking for the bang for the buck with this book and knowing that there some kids are going to have 4,000 books in their house and some may have four. And we want that book to lift to the top in either no situation. Yeah, right. right. And that's, that's really, so in the conversations that we have every year, really, I always leave thinking, you know, I'll be, I'll just sort of casually mention to the person next to me, well, this is, this clearly wouldn't work because, well, yes, it would work because, so we have these really rich conversations mm-hmm. and, and discussions about, well, I don't see that, do you? And, yeah. and it must be really great for you all afterwards to synthesize all of our different perspectives and what we yeah. want to, to see in the books that I are also chosen. like to read, you know, read through that book as a, you know, parent. I remember sometimes my children would pull a book off the shelf and want it to be read, and I'd be like, oh, that one again, <laughs> you know. So I want there to be that lasting excitement, you know, that, that I still get a tear in the eye when mm. I, re- you know, read one book or another, you know, it's like, or get excited about reading that because... I don't want parents skipping pages like mm. maybe I did a few times when my eyes <laughs> were little. <laughs> Cassie, how do people find out about Raising Readers? Well, um, we have a great website, um, raisingreaders.org, um, and we can be easily found on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Pinterest. We do we do all of those. And um, as both Catherines were mentioning, um, a huge sort of side piece of our work is to be able to recommend other books for topics or um, different discussions that parents want to have with their children. And our Pinterest boards actually are full of different suggestions of, of every way, shape, and sort. Um, we're dealing with death in our family right now, and that's a huge um, topic to be trying to discuss with a three-year-old mm-hmm. um, and trying to, to sort of figure that out. And so I actually, I, I was actually on Amazon, this is funny, the other day, and I'm searching, right? I'm thinking, why am I doing this? I should be using my own program. <laughs> so I went to so I went to the Raising Readers site, did my search, I went to Pinterest, um, and Pinterest does have a little bit more now because we're able to keep that a little more up to date sometimes than the website, but um, I got four great choices and, um, and was able to order a couple of them. And um, so I think those are a couple of ways that, that folks can connect with us. You can also connect through your doctor's office. I mean, if you want to know if your doctor participates or just, just give them a call. Every single site essentially in Maine participates in our um, program. So we've never had anybody drop out. We've only had people join. And um, when offices merge or close or whatnot, we're aware of that. And we make sure um, to bring the new providers in however we can. We also connect with... Um, with midwifery programs and um, any other birth centers, standalone birth centers that are in the state. But if for some reason, when you um, deliver a child, um, if you know if any of our listeners happen to be pregnant or um, trying to have children soon or adopting, um, you can actually receive Raising Readers books um, wherever you are so if you actually adopt a child we connect with our um, with the local most of the local adoption um, services but if for some reason that doesn't happen for you you can always contact us through the Raising Readers website and we'd be happy to get you out a kit Um, and or if you deliver at home and for some reason your midwife um, doesn't have uh, a tote bag on hand you can always let us know we're happy to send that out um, to families so there's a lot of ways to connect with us Um, we also have our emails obviously on our website and we're happy to answer questions we get them all the time from child care providers and provide uh, f- um, clinical providers themselves etc so um, please connect with us we love to hear from families well thank you all for coming in today we've been speaking with Cassandra Grantham I call you Cassandra but of course Cassie, Cassie is the way I've always known you so Cassie, Cassie. Grantham uh, Catherine Anderson and also Catherine Landon Malone I appreciate you're all participating and getting the words out literally the words out mm. to the children of the state of Maine and thanks for all the work that you're doing with Raising Readers thank, thank you. you thanks you've been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Arm podcast show number 136 Family Literacy. Our guests have included Liza McFadden, Becky Dyer, Catherine Landon Malone, and Catherine Anderson. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit doctorlisa.org. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. 
Follow me on Instagram as Bountiful1. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our family literacy show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Dream Kitchen Studios, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Belial. Our assistant producer is Leanne Wiemet. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our online producer is Kelly Clinton. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is available for download free on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. <music>